0: ask questions, and book lessons at LessonFace.com. The Meet Your Mentor podcast is produced by LessonFace. Hi, I'm Kelly, and I'm here at LessonFace with our Teacher of the Month, Mike Mitchell. Congratulations on that, Mike.
1: Thank you, Kelly.
0: Mike has been teaching with LessonFace for about three years. He joined the site in August 2014, and outside of lesson face, he's been teaching for about 20 years. He specializes in bluegrass and has been playing for 35 years. So Mike, why don't you tell us a little bit about what motivated you to start playing in the first place?
1: Well, sure. For myself and the rest of the Mitchells, it's a family business. I'm the the son of a music teacher and the father of music students. So I've been playing music since I could hold an instrument. And I grew up playing music with my mom, who's a piano teacher. So in our home was her private studio. Every day after school, we weren't allowed to go in there because she had uh, piano students. And she taught up until, I think, she started to have some arthritis issues, around 60, 65, and put it down. I'm happy to say, though, that she's worked through those issues and she's playing again.
0: And what instruments did you start playing right off the bat?
1: It was violin lessons, Suzuki violin lessons as a kid. Something that's a little bit interesting is that I was a terrible student. Kelly, I was the worst student ever. I was, every music teacher and parents, a total nightmare. (laughs) It was really bad. I, I didn't practice. I fought with my mom about practicing. Oh, I, I feel terrible about it but that's that's why I, I mean, I'm sure that's why in the universe I'm a I'm a music teacher and I can always tell my students you know mr. Mike was just the worst <laughs> student ever that helps actually uh, with some good insight for parents from an understanding point of view with kids lessons motivation for practice is always uh, a part of it years later as a professional musician performing artist and teacher I reached out to find my teacher she was from uh, Southern in Ontario, I grew up in Ontario, Canada, and I found her son, who is actually a violin maker and has a very successful violin making business, and sadly he told me that she had advanced Alzheimer's. So I was was late, just a little bit, in, in finding her and saying, it worked, and thank you so much and I'm so sorry that you had to put up with me.
0: What inspired you to continue on then and really take a hold of the instrument? Well, that
1: would have been my college years. I tried to major in something other than music when I first went to school. And it turned out that that was the only thing I was going to do well in, was just to stay with music. So as a young man, it just made sense. And then, of course, I started playing. You know, I taught myself to play the guitar. I did not play bluegrass music at that time. That was later, after I had my own family. You know, I got into playing in bands. This would have been in Pittsburgh, and the the music scene in Pittsburgh was really hot at that time. Played with uh, Rusted Root, when Rusted Root was just starting out, and uh, ended up in a band called The Recipe in the mid to late late nineties. So it was performing that, that kept me in music for sure. And I still, at that time, you know, I learned in school, you had to teach. Teaching was a great way to, to supplement the income. So I had a few students, but wasn't full-time until later in life when I, you know, quote unquote, settled down.
0: What was your musical journey between when you first started playing and becoming a full-time teacher?
1: Well, again, when I first started playing, I was with the jam bands in around the Pittsburgh music scene, slowly moved south in through West Virginia and eventually Virginia and settled in the Blue Ridge Mountains in Floyd, Virginia, where I've been for the last 18 years. This is the the kind of the cradle of bluegrass music, and it was just the most natural thing in the world to do. It was everywhere, all around me, and I had my own family, my own kids, and a responsibility to teach them, and that natural progression. You know, I'm I'm not the first deadhead to to end up into bluegrass music. There's a few of us ex-hippies out there that turned to bluegrass, and I'm very thankful I did.
0: What was the transition from deadhead to bluegrass like?
1: Well, it's the same for all of us. Garcia was in a side band called Olden in the Way, and it was, a, it was a bluegrass jam band. Garcia dabbled at playing the banjo. The heads might not agree with me, or they might not renew my, my membership for saying this, but he wasn't a good banjo player. <laughs> but he jammed with some really great players. Vassar Clemens played the, the fiddle. Vassar was a friend of mine. Ended up meeting him and, and playing with him backstage a few times. So that's how the Deadheads were introduced to bluegrass was through the Olden in the Way side band of Garcia. And for some of us, it, it you know it resonated and we stuck with it.
0: So what was it like settling into the lifestyle of teaching after playing in these bands?
1: I moved to Floyd, which is a one stoplight county. We've got one stoplight in our whole county. It's there's we've got a whole lot more cows than people. I moved here actually to quit playing music in August of 2000. And I moved here to get back to the land and and raise my family. And I stopped playing music for a few years. And I took a job in a a local uh, industry making chandeliers of all things. I learned to, to be a welder and a metal fabricator and amazingly enough I never cut my hands or my fingers and for extra money on Saturdays I started to teach the people the kids from the church or the local kids in the town I started to teach them violin or fiddle lessons that extra money wasn't it wasn't too bad fast forward a few years I have my second child And I took off his first year. I quit my job and stayed at home with the infant. And there's a lot of downtime when you're doing that. So... Dad started to pick up his violin and got real serious getting right with the with the regional style of music, the, the bluegrass fiddle and the old-time fiddle, and really learning to, to do that in a credible way. And so I approached it from an academic kind of a standpoint. That was it. The floodgates opened, and I've been at it full-time ever since. While the boy was old enough to go into daycare, and I really wanted to get back into the workplace, I just put that out there, and it happened. And within a couple of months, I was a full-time music teacher, I've been a full-time music teacher for 10 years since. I do still approach it from an academic standpoint, but I stress my proprietary quality, or my niche, is uh, Southern Appalachian fiddle, bluegrass and old time you know, I've learned to play the guitar and the banjo and the mandolin. I teach those, work with families where siblings play different instruments, put bands together, and they can then go out into the world, go into their churches, go out to the local festivals. But my violin students usually end up playing in the orchestra too. So it's a, a kind of a hybrid. Some of them don't. Every now and again, I have one that says, I just want to play classical violin, and that's fine. Or vice versa, I have one that says, you know, I just want to learn fiddle by ear no music, that's great too. Inevitably those students always end up wanting to do the other thing as well. They just have to focus on one at a time.
0: What is your favorite part about teaching?
1: I think it's the lesson plan. I've been thinking about this question for you uh, all morning and I spoke with uh, my wife about it this morning and I think it's the lesson plan yeah it's it's great to achieve the goal and to look beyond that and say what's next and how are we going to apply this thing that we've learned half of my students are adults and every adult has a different goal an individualized effort and it's it's that collaboration with the students or the students parents it's, so I guess it's it's the journey I've got one little girl who comes she wants to be able to, to play the fiddle for her talent part of her pageants this little second grader and she's winning all these pageants and she's going to these national pageant deals and she's playing and so of course it's got to be hot fiddle and you know so she's got this unique lesson plan that deals with stage presence poise and all this stuff and I get to be involved at that level it's very interesting for me I also have an 88 year old guy He's my buddy who's never played a note and it's his bucket list. And he wants to learn to play fiddle. And he'll he'll tell you he has just zero timing. He has no natural timing at all. <laughs> so he and I are clapping our hands and tapping our feet together and trying to stay in time. And so he's got his lesson plan, right? And in that one also I have this old guy with grandkids and great grandkids and I ask him advice all the time about, you know, life and stuff. And everything in between. So it's it's the lesson plan, it's the relationship.
0: So you mentioned earlier growing up in a musical family. How has that evolved with your family? How have you gotten your kids involved?
1: My stepdaughter, who I started teaching when she was eight, I married her mom a few years later. She's at the University of Miami at the Frost School of Music studying classical violin with one of the greatest violinists in the world, Charlie Castleman. Her sister plays violin and plays with friends socially out in uh, California. Just this past Sunday for Easter at church, I was playing with my two sons. Dan plays the banjo and James plays the violin. And we worked out an arrangement of a, of a hymn for church and taught it to the lady who plays the organs. We had like a big giant sound on Sunday morning. When we have events at my mom's, everyone gathers around the piano. And it's music, that's that's what the Mitchell family does. Going a little further into that theme of uh, it's the Mitchell family business, this violin that I'm gonna play for you belonged to my great, great, great aunt. We've got a photograph of her and a couple other ladies, probably from the 1870s, and she's holding this violin. My great, great grandfather carved his name in the back of it in 1890.
0: I like that theme of family business. Since you have your violin ready, would you like to walk us through a tutorial?
1: I'm gonna take a, a real simple, simple little melody. It's often called Flop Eared Mule by southern old time fiddlers. I'm gonna just show you how easy this melody is. You know, that melody that I just played for you, it's neutral. It doesn't sound like a fiddle song or classical baroque or romantic era or anything, or jazz music. It's just something that any first year, early second year violin student would be able to play. And in the nature of melody, this is something that human beings have been humming, whistling, putting words to for thousands of years. It's just, it's melody. It's, uh... One, two, three, four, one, two, three, so it's seven notes. That's it. How does that become a fiddle tune? That's where it gets a little bit exciting. The nature of fiddling for folk music is for dance. It's got to be rhythmic. I tell my students all the time, Grandma's got to dance. So if if you can play it in such a way that makes Grandma want to kick up her heels... Then you're in business. So what we'll do is take the same melody and we'll add a little shuffleo, a shuffle bow, <laughs> with stresses on the twos. Becomes rhythmic. So once you can get into that groove, then we need to realize that the fiddle is played in a small band, quite often with only the banjo or a guitar to accompany. So it needs to be fuller in sound. It doesn't have a lot of other instruments to back it up. There's certainly no orchestra behind it. Or a drum set. So the drum set is why we accent the two and the four. One, two and three, four and one, two and three. Because that's where the snare drum would be making its hit. Now we want to increase the sound and make it bigger. We're going to have to add other strings. Then <laughs> we're starting to sound fiddly, aren't we? Now, say you do that every day for a week, you're going to start to get bored, and this is where it gets interesting, and this is where everyone who learns to play fiddle gets to put their own personal stamp on what they play. The nature of folk music is to always have your version of it. So you can start to be a little notier. And, and play longer and longer and, and learn new skills, that same small melody, this is one of the coolest things about, about playing uh, fiddle tunes, the same melody can stick with you and you can, adv- you can use your advanced skills to still play the same melody.
0: ask questions, and book lessons at lessonface.com. The Meet Your Mentor podcast is produced by LessonFace.